0: But now, when the Sikhi um, journey was happening, that's when they they were like, you know, what's wrong with him? You're listening to the Experience Sikhi podcast, a deeper look into the Sikh identity. We present to you open, honest, and inspiring stories. No armor, pretense, or sugarcoating.
1: We'd like to welcome back all the listeners on this bonus episode of the Experience Sikhi podcast. We hope that you had the chance to listen to the first episode with Will Singh about his journey into the professional field, some of the challenges he had to overcome, um, both in the professional field and him as a person. Now we're going to dive into a bit more about Will Singh as a person, uh, the books he's written, the philosophy he holds, who he is as a person and why he is this way. And uh, we're going to get started off with a bit more about his book. So again, welcome back to Skunwal Singh. How are you doing?
0: <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you for having me.
1: Um, so if we get right into it, your book is titled Feminism Saved My Life, and it may just save the world. So in the book, you write that feminism scares many people, but it really shouldn't. What do you mean by that?
0: I feel like a lot of people may agree with the tenets of feminism, and a lot of people may actually learn to embody that there's so much in it that that they're naturally inclined to believe but the way that it has become a word with baggage scares people the way that it's been perceived scares people and it's really that perception that i feel makes a lot of people say things like i believe in equality but i'm not a feminist and i feel i've found this to be the case with many women as well um, they shy away from it, or they can shy away from it, and many men despise it. Um, so everyone seems to just kind of just say, I just believe in equality. And I feel like they, a lot of them may not just be able to take the time um, to understand and actually learn and dig a bit deeper. Many people, especially men, seem to say that it has feminine connotations, um, and that these men think it's not manly, you could say, to openly support feminism. So... So that's why I think it it kind of keeps people away from it.
1: And do you think it's a problem with the word itself? Like, why not just use equality? Why the word feminism? Um, A lot of times, like, there are people who say, why does the word have to be feminism? Because it's so, like, it's only one person or, like, one gender, per se. Um, Why do you think it should be opened up? Do you think there's a problem with the word itself or simply its perception?
0: I think uh, there's there's no problem with, you know, feminism at all. I think it's the same thing with Black Lives Matter. Um, um, because it's the uniqueness, it's the, their voices, their stories, their unique backgrounds, their unique uh, history to pay respect to and to actually understand the way that the history has uh, has has been um, kind of written, and the struggles they've overcome to actually understand how the systems in place today are, ref- are a reflection of that. And similarly, for example, with Sikhi, we can't understand our faith unless we know our history and how things have come together. So if it's really just a word, feminism, that's you know pushing people away, that's a very shallow reason to not want to learn. Um, and when we don't learn, we're not growing. So it, it kind of makes no sense to me.
1: That's fair. Um, just to take a bit of a uh, spin on Sikhi with this, uh, Guru Gobind Singhji Maharaj also in a kaalas that says, Manas ki jad sabay Right, um, it, it kind of plays on the equality of all That everyone should receive that fair chance um, Let's say when you're trying to persuade others That there is not a problem with feminism Like we have in Sikhi that Guru Sahib says exactly this That there should be equal opportunity and fairness for all But sometimes we can't really translate that When we're trying to persuade others that it is not a problem That feminism itself is not a problem How do you go about doing that? Do you think it's important to, to do something like that?
0: For sure, um, you're absolutely right, that equal access to equal opportunities and that inherent self-worth we all have, like, in other words, that jolt within all of us, is the root of, of both of these kinds of, I guess you could say, philosophies. And it's the world around us, the social constructions, or in other words, the Maya, that makes us forget that. And the way, um, and this is first-hand experience for me and for many men, the way we've been conditioned um is through media that is controlled by pretty much all men the the way that we perceive uh, or have been conditioned to perceive women's bodies um all these things within the media within um within movies within tv shows within school system within the education we learn within pornography whatever the case is these are all ways that have twisted our perception of this and that is Maya working so definitely the overlap is there and it's important to explain that and to and to let people know because they can meet themselves at a deeper level if they understand the way that their mind has been persuaded to work um brainwashed essentially to perceive things in different ways.
2: Right. And you mentioned it earlier as well, right? Um, changing like Black Lives Matter to uh there should be white lives matter. You mentioned that there's need for feminism that comes from oppression. Um And you relate this to various spiritual movements as well. You write, quote, There are some faiths, spiritual movements, and religions that evolved over large periods of time or emerged from oppressive conflict within areas that may have had similar pre-existing beliefs. To simply group those new faiths under the umbrella of those pre-existing faiths would serve to discredit the special history, customs, and traditions, as well as struggles of those people to have their own unique voice heard or forge their own unique identity relating this to Sikhi, why is it important that the unique nature and customs of Sikhi can be appreciated? Why is it that it's, why is it important for young people to acknowledge this and see themselves as Sikhs rather than a sect of Hindus or
0: Muslims? Speaking from first-hand experience and also speaking on behalf of uh, anecdotes that people have told me, sometimes honestly the power of uh, you know one's faith, one's spirituality, one's uh, history, all it takes is one sake, one lesson, one person, one story, one artifact or anything from one's uh, background to receive k- grace and kirpa from God, to receive a deeper understanding, to have their own memories and history and uh, childhood or upbringing connect the dots and to be able to start thinking in a different way. Because everyone's mind is unique. Everyone's upbringing is unique. And the way different things connect for each person is their own journey. So we need to preserve that. And our history and faith is very unique, and the history is so integral to the understanding of our faith. So to, do, to lose that is a discredit to the sacrifices, to the shaheeds, to the efforts that have been a collaborative, you know, oneness. Um, and similarly to discredit feminism is to ignore their history and the centuries and centuries of unique struggles and their voices. And on a broader level, everyone's unique customs and traditions need to be appreciated and respected. And there's beauty in our inclusivity and to celebrate the unique histories we all come from. Um, And that includes, you know, um, as we as you mentioned earlier, um, paying respect to the land that we're on and um, indigenous culture um, and any traditions. We need to have it um, a a part of our understanding to respect everyone's uh, uniqueness. Otherwise, a cookie cutter world means the destruction and erosion (coughs) of so many voices. And in the end, our voices is truly kind of all we have, whether it's through writing, whether it's through art, through Kirtan through building something, sharing something, the way we choose to channel our energy and through what platform is our, our voice, whether it's occupation or sharing, whatever the case is.
2: Right. And so I think uh, a question I have there is like, would you, um, sometimes everything in, in the world right now is marketing, right? Like if you think about it at, at a very deep level, um, businesses, uh, their marketing, um, just to get any idea out there, you need to be, be better at marketing, right? So would you say there'd be something that you would change about the feminist movement to be able to uh, get that message out there? Because um, clearly people have, as you, as you said, like some people say, if there's feminism, why isn't there masculinism, right? Mm-hmm. So what would, would you change something? Or do you think the feminist movement needs to do something different to be able to market that idea out there and not be kind of, pushed it up against with uh, these kind of uh, remarks?
0: I truly kind of just see myself as a sidekick, you know, to this movie. It's not like, you know, I don't know firsthand the experience, obviously, of, of women and especially women of color um, right. and, and their struggles. So um, well, one thing, though, is that I can say um, is that, you know, it's typically um, and mostly, you know, it's, it's men that have the powerful voices and powerful platforms. So... We don't need, I guess you could say, permission to use that space because we have that space. We just need uh, an onus, a social responsibility, a civic responsibility, an ethical responsibility to do more. Um, and that is something that throughout history, throughout the centuries, has been lacking in many, in many uh, instances. So really, I think it's just we should take it upon ourselves to educate each other, call each other out and do more.
1: Um, If we go on to the topic of toxic masculinity, you you mentioned that it was um, a fairly dominant aspect of your life. It shaped how you were, um, I guess, in your uh, child years, teen, -teen, preteen, and a bit of your adulthood as well. Um, You could touch upon that of how toxic masculinity affected your life, um, but also going along with that. So how does feminism help men um, develop who they are or become the partners uh, that many expect us to be of that movement?
0: So growing up around uh, a culture and community and friends, um, older influences, uh, where fighting, drugs, drinking, being arrested, um, trying to extract revenge in in the bloodiest way possible were kind of seen as rites of passage, necessarily kind of had a big influence on me. Um, It was always this push towards know don't let that person disrespect you don't let that person even look at you that way so who knows why someone's looking at someone right I don't know their intention and mine maybe Definitely. they're just oh that person has a nice sweater yeah. but <laughs> the way we're perceiving it as yo, that guy's looking at me yeah and that from a young age we're, we're, we're kind of drilled this from everyone around us to kind of be these street soldiers and to one day embrace um, that and so we kind of grew up in a in a very toxic way where we we're kind of envisioning from a young age to one day have the torch And be the ones on the the front lines of this kind of, uh, you know, turf warfare between little geographic areas that it seems so silly now looking back at it. But at the time, it was very real. It was very much a reality, a very egocentric kind of narrow view of things. And coinciding with uh, cutting my hair and taking on this new identity to finally get away from all the frustration and resentment and the childhood um, issues and the bullying and the teasing and the lack of identity and insecurity and all of these things coincided with being fed up to the point where when I had cut my hair and taken on this new identity and name, it was all about following in the footsteps of, uh, at the time, my older brother and the older influences I had. And it was really about just being that person to, to, because it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. At that point, it was just to be the toughest, be the baddest, and earn your stripes, so to speak. And so it was was just a show we all kind of put on. Um, Not many of us Spoke openly. We actually never did um, about our issues and pain and trauma, but we all had the same similar stories and same pain and voids um, from very abusive, uh, you could say, upbringings, and our only outlet was each other and that that community to to just uh, escape.
1: Yeah. Um. I feel like in our culture we also have that concept of like Arnic, where we have that pride that comes with it, um, but also in Sikhi we have to we have to balance that with. Uh, with no home, right, or no ego, Um, did you find yourself struggling to come to terms with both of those concepts, or did it ever cross your mind that maybe dialing down my pride will result in no smaller ego as well, or something along those lines?
0: For sure, because it it felt like almost a double life. On one hand, um, academically, I was a much different person, Um, very courteous, uh, you know, doing mock trials and going to undergrad, and then law school and 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 wanting to actually be this person but then at the same time there was so much insecurity i didn't feel like i fit in with these you know so-called professionals and because that was never my circle that was never who i was and inside i was i was so um so much into escaping the voids that i had this imposter syndrome that i didn't actually believe in a way that i was worthy or that i was capable as much as you know other people to be in these circles so that kind of made me After, you know, uh, being in the professional field on the weekends, gravitate towards that old comfort level. Right. And, you know, no new friends. You know, like Drake songs. Like, you know, like, I just want to (laughs) stick with my day ones, quote unquote. But that comfort level didn't let me grow. It's such a kind of way to get stuck. Right.
2: It gets into a... It's a perpetual cycle. just you just stay in there. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Speaking of uh,
2: covers and personas, um, you you decided to make the cover of your book pink was that a conscious one what what was the reasoning behind that
0: there is um uh i believe it's in the first chapter i touched on that um where there's a a a specific reason why pink and blue are used um because initially it might seem uh very gender you know gendered and stereotypical to use those colors but there's a reason why um and there's there's a detailed explanation for why those colors are in some ways the foundation for gender and how illogical that is, because there's no way, for example, you look at a pink or purple sunset and be like, yo, that's girly. It's beautiful, right? Yeah, like, and, yeah. but we we kind of put these colors to towards specific meanings. Right. And this dichotomy that we've started from such a young age, has such a profound impact. And that's something so small. So if we take a look at just that example, two colors, and how that shapes our mind, then we can actually realize how many other things have that same impact and take away our ability to think freely and to connect with mm-hmm. ourselves.
1: Yeah. I mean, going on that topic, uh, you also mentioned gender reveal parties, and you have a very unique perspective on the deeper meaning behind them. Um, things like that are also present in our Punjabi culture, where we have even like Lodi, let's say, is celebrated only for the, the boy child. Or again, laddus and sweets are distributed when a boy is born in the family rather than a girl. Um, could you touch upon that as well?
0: I feel like it's, it's a really a problem that at the root of it is, is a lot of parents have, uh, either you could say voids or very controlling, um, attachment kind of, uh, issues where they need, why, why do you need to have a certain child? Why aren't we grateful that there's a new life coming into our, our lives? And it, it should be in my opinion a, a moment of gratitude bliss and love and no expectations because you're already from day one putting this energy out there where you, you're wanting something and you're not kind of thinking and being caught of the fact that you've just been received you've, you've just received this gift you're just wanting more mm-hmm. and more and so um i think that you know the root of it is is, is that and and that's very problematic and toxic because because there's no perhaps inner contentment with a lot of these uh, this Punjabi mentality, right? And so there's something missing there.
2: Yeah, definitely. And it, it also is a, it's a coming from a place of want versus gratitude, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so starting off with that is very hurtful. Um, you quote Guru Nanak Dev Ji in your book. Uh, Guru Sahib points out that the numerous ways in which society relies on women in, in Ansa Divar. Um, you have experience with a prof- professor who decided it was sexist for a man to be talking on behalf of, of a woman. Uh, can you explain what happened there? Like, what was the situation there?
0: Right, so it was, it was a presentation. Uh, so this was back, I believe, when I was 18 um, or 19. It was a presentation uh, based on issues regarding social justice. And um, and I, I had included that in my presentation. But I was told that the framework for that quote and the framework for that um, was based on a sexist framework because the language of he and she wasn't necessarily reflective of inclusivity and of uh, different forms of uh, gender identities etc oh. obviously uh, at that time I, I wasn't able to really dig deeper i didn't have much of an understanding of sikhi i just knew that you know there is something profound there i just did right. not explain it and that translation Um, In in and of itself isn't reflective Of what what is kind of said The he, she, those kinds of things Aren't a part of um, that quote Mm -hmm. And so the way to explain In English and the way to explain That it's not that it's male Ownership of woman but it's more of a a Sense of uh, gratitude um, Of being so grateful and and Realizing that even the For example the mightiest king Still comes from a woman And still is raised and was in a woman's arms And that is strength to to nurture to be that loving and compassionate and that is the true strength but i wasn't able to i was also just very shy back then because i wasn't myself and i was just yeah yeah
2: Yeah. and it can be difficult especially um also authority at that time right like and you think that oh this is a teacher they probably know what they're talking about but it's like we're all learning exactly right and so yeah um
1: if we we move on one very important thing that you discussed in your book which um, I feel was very bold in and of itself, is that the youth should know about Indra Gandhi. And the reason why you say is that she is the person responsible for mental health issues, substance abuse issues, and trauma that the Indian Punjabi community still has not recovered from. Um, The way we usually think about it is that um, our faith was attacked and the survival of our people um, kind of relied upon our resistance at that time. We don't really think of it um, as responsible for, let's say, the drug problem in Punjab itself, and then the trauma that lasted all the way to our generation. Um, would, would you like to touch more upon that? For sure. I mean, the attacks
0: on, on Sikhi and our faith have been there for centuries. And it wasn't just this, you know, one incident for sure. But the fact that this genocide took place at Harmandir Sahib in the Golden Temple, and the fact that such genocides and attacks were strategically planned out, and carried out for political purposes makes it that much more um shocking and vile and and twisted and evil and and just you know just wrong on so many levels the 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 planning the manipulation the putting things into place to strategically attack on days where people were just doing seva having longer and reciting beautiful poetry and you know connecting together meditating and for for Sarbattapala for everyone's well being. And and it was really just like, you know, just uh, places of obviously just peace and love for everyone. At the end of every Ardas is it's for everyone for Sarbattapala for, you know, Dirapani Sarbattapala. So it's it's for everyone. Um and the aftermath of, of this was, you know, and the rape, the torture, the kidnappings, the murders, the destruction of scriptures, places of worship, godware, monuments, libraries, and the intention was to destroy us. And there's been a lot of pain because of it, because the, the riots and everything that followed stemmed from that. And it's kind of similar to how you can say that you know the people that um, condoned what Hitler was doing were just as culpable. Because the only way for him to have rose to power was by people not doing anything and people letting that kind of happen. It's when people don't stand up. So, so th- you know, there's more to this. Obviously, there's also the British involvement. There's also documents have, have been revealed and released where there's a British involvement in this attack. And um, the weapons or whatever the case is, the more you dig deep, the more there is to it. But whether it was her, whether she was a puppet for other people, regardless, that was the person at the time doing kind of carrying that out. And that, that genocidal intergenerational pain, um, alcoholism in Punjab. And then for example, um, my, my father's pain that was transferred to me in a lot of, you know, our families, um, some have been blessed with uh, the roots of Sikhi. Some have unfortunately had that pain, drive them towards different, uh, you know, uh, routes that have passed down to our, our children, our, our youth, whether in Brampton, whether in, you know, in Surrey, you know, it's increasingly, you know, more problematic in different ways, but it all is tied to that. And I think one thing, as you touched, um, because we've been so resilient and successful, you could say, and, and strong, it doesn't mean that, you know, we don't have, uh, something to heal through, and, and that resilience is for sure admirable, um, but that pain that I carried with me, for example, my whole life via my dad, and that pain for 19 years um, plus, um, that's why I write, you know, in the book, It's Time to Forgive and Heal, for us, Arpanth, um, for us as, as people to forgive ourselves to let go of that hatred fear anger shame pain addictions uh, alcoholism because those aren't things that are helping us that were they're further deteriorating us our mental faculties our emotional well-being our uh, mental health and to just forgive ourselves and, and love ourselves to unite and to be to to have that love for everyone again and in my opinion that's what you know guruji would want for us to open up to feel to love again to connect again to, to be united um, And it's hard because uh, it, Like it's hard To process this sometimes um, Because our faith um, Our leaders Santji, for example uh, All we ever wanted was You know Peace, love, seva, langar for people Unity To preserve identities Our traditions, our faith And, and That's all right Like it's just We've always wanted to do this for everyone Definitely So it's a uh, it's just something that I feel that the youth, you know, need to know, um, but it's not in a way to, you know, get riled up and angry, right. because that's not going to solve anything. I feel like it's just a way for them to understand that this has taken a toll, and to become better people, it's about, you know, uniting together.
2: I think another thing is, uh, as you were mentioning, uh, that there is pain there. While you were growing up, you probably didn't realize that that's the effect. Um, of that pain right right Uh, because we don't directly connect with that pain as a as a byproduct of it right Um, and so it's recognizing that that is the case that we are wounded to attend to our wounds uh, versus uh, saying how are we going to kind of fight back only right Um, and to really look at that deeper level that's a very good point because you don't realize the the way that generational pain travels through Mm -hmm. and is still affecting us today Mm -hmm. we don't realize that right so i think it's very
1: important i also Um, feel that um sometimes what that kind of takes the form of is um let's say someone wants to educate themselves on those situations or on that history um it's very taboo nowadays because they feel like it's going to result in actions or reactive actions that may not bode well um but yeah at the end of the day it is all about realization of what has happened and it's more like educational so we know how to move forward in an effective manner where we do, again, forgive ourselves for that trauma, but also, you know, come back even stronger.
0: I think, yeah, that's like what it is to forgive ourselves and open up and love more meaningful and connect and to figure out ways to prevent this for everyone, for another faith, for our faith, for people in general to take the lessons that we can learn to take the pain and and transfer that into into love for ourselves into, and for forgiveness.
2: And, and also, like, how do, um, as you mentioned, like uh, reflecting, right? Like reflecting on how to move forward. I think that's the hardest part because m- mostly what that conversation becomes is like, okay, this is how it happened. Uh, this is how we're going to respond to them. Mm-hmm. But it's not like, well, there's like five different other avenues that we can also take, right? Uh, I'm not saying what they're doing is wrong or what whatever's happening in the month is wrong. But at the same time, I, I don't know. I haven't heard many conversations saying, okay, let's step back how are we going to move forward as a punt Mm -hmm. right at a a, especially at like a level national level of like canada or america it's like we're not moving together anywhere right um and i think that conversation needs to happen uh and it's very important to at least have a vision right everybody will have uh, the punt is diverse right we have like uh we were having conversations offline as well that there's many like different aspects to the pant. there's duksalis, Nihangs. like even not even at that level but in general there's so much diversity in our pun but we don't have a common vision goal sometimes right and i think that conversation needs to start happening um to and, move us forward
0: and i think the like totally to go off what you're saying one thing that's very problematic is without that i guess you say a foresight and vision a lot of times the baggage that people might have from their own life, their own relationships, their own upbringing, combined with with that uh, event, can lead to growth being manifested in ways that they don't see it, and it's just a kind of a justification for them to feel their crowd But as we can see, like time and time again through history, for example, Govin Singji, even when there was, uh, you know, emperors that were um, forcefully con- trying to convert people and whatnot and imposing their rule, still firing. Arrows dipped in gold to pay for their funerals of anyone who was uh, who passed away, and that uh, it wasn't out of anger; it was, you know, just trying to help people and trying to let people live freely. And so, for maybe we can hopefully with Gerupa have that compassion to for ourselves to move forward, as you said,
2: definitely. And based off of that, um, having that self love and self worth at obviously the buntik level, but also at a individual level. Um, you mentioned in your book the concept of self-worth that is popular in the Western world. Uh, Gurbani does mention these concepts as well, like for example, "Man um, tu surupe apna mool Oh, mind, you are the embodiment of God. Recognize your origin. Um, self-love and self-worth. When you, when taken beyond the limit, uh, it can kind of ride the line of the, the line of ego. Um, how is it different from ego, and how do we make sure that we have enough self-love? Uh, to meet ourselves at a deeper level, as you mentioned, uh, but without losing the humility?
0: That's a very um, like interesting and, and deep and beautiful question because I think that is is something that isn't talked about a lot because the, the emphasis, overemphasis, especially on the self, self-love, self-development, self-worth, etc., can um, lead people to an exaggerated sense of self and what we come to know as uh, narcissism can, uh, can, you know, definitely become, uh, an issue. Um, so that sense of narcissism and self versus humility and oneness. Um, so it's definitely a fine line. And I think, in my opinion, intentions go a long way there. So, um, for example, Ancient Greeks and Romans used to focus, I believe, on fitness and physical health as a way to respect their soul, their mind, their body, and as a form of discipline. Whereas now you can see on social media, you know, self-love can be associated with wanting, you know, the, the best beach body mm-hmm. and this overemphasis on beach, beach body. But it's so vain and it's also just a, 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 can be a way for people to cover up their other insecurities and through just this projection of, of self. And so it's definitely problematic. And um, that, that that language, self, um, is really, um, it, it can be just change, for example, you know, self-love to just love, you know, right. just, but it, it becomes tricky because then it's like, love yourself. But just how about embody love? How about be love? How about embrace love? Um, create love, right. find love, or just things like that. So I, I definitely understand what you're saying, and I actually went through. I feel you know this kind of dilemma where, when I kind of embarked on a on a on a journey of of self discovery and self uh, fulfillment, uh, one thing uh, I did was hit the gym. Initially, I used to weigh seventy pounds uh, more than I do now, and um, around that time, because of the, for example, the drinking, the fast food, and the pizzas and the burgers and all this kind of you know right. junk that I was distracting myself with, and binge eating um, led me to be really overweight. And when I started getting really in shape and, uh, you know, at one point in time I was really like muscular and all that. And I think that got to me, you know, for a few months mm. and I was like, but this isn't love. I don't feel content. I don't, f- I'm still relying on people's validation. I'm still, I still find myself posting a picture on Instagram, right. um, of, of me at the gym. And yes, I wanted to motivate people. That was, you know, a nice goal there. But when I was being honest with myself, I, I liked the fact that I was starting to look a certain way and it was like this guise of, yeah, I'm motivating people, but really it's like I want, you know, a bit of validation Definitely, yeah. and that's not going to go away. That's just going to be like with the six pack, it's going to be with arm, like bigger arm, whatever the case is. Right. Um, so that line is definitely hard um, and it's about being honest with yourself and it's it's increasingly harder to do because with social media. It can be a tricky way for people to you know get their dopamine fix and their validation and yeah the, the likes and all that stuff so i I just consider myself you know blessed to be able to snap out of that so to speak um because it's it's definitely not easy to conflate or to um have that sense of self while also being humble enough to realize you're not you know in a better place than people right. in a way
2: yeah no it's it's definitely um we've had internal conversations as well, right? Like Sikhi is, um, in Sikhi, it's always about humility, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to get essentially bit rid of the sense of self, right? Mm-hmm. If you think about it. Um, but then at the same time, there's a lot of things that uh, we do. It, it somewhat becomes toxic at a, at one point when mm-hmm. you start go, becoming to a point where it's like, okay, well, no, I didn't do this. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. And it becomes so toxic and then you, it's more of self-hate at that point. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the kind of line that you want to avoid. It's like stay on the self-love side, you know what I mean? Sure. Just sure. understand that, yeah, that it's fine that you're doing this and you're trying to be humble, but um, and you're trying to serve. Mm-hmm. I think that's where it needs to come from. Mm-hmm. It also helps with, like, I know one of our, say so with those, Amanji thing. he um, was working out and he realized that he wanted to help people work out. And he said that... My goal is to use this body for Seva, and that's why I'm kind of building up. Mm-hmm. Um, so fi- finding another intention on the use of what, what you're doing, right, for helps. Sure. right? For sure. Um,
0: yeah. but, but that can also sometimes be tricky, because it's we always kind of, I think, like to know what our intentions are, but sometimes we don't know our subconscious intentions. Yes. So that's the tricky part. And... It just takes, honestly, being—I feel—just honest with yourself. And when you do something wrong inherently about social media, you can learn it, use it to learn about other, you know, civilizations or faiths or spirituality or whatever the case is. But it's like, why are you posting this? Why are you interacting with this? Why are you kind of why are you doing it? Right. Just take a step back sometimes, because when you start doing the autopilot thing right. and you just do things, you don't know why you're doing it. Right.
2: So it's more of uh, stepping back
1: and actually evaluating your true intentions. Right. You know right. Um, Just a a quick question about that, about stepping back, let's say when you have all these figures in your life that have a lot of influence on you, sometimes it is hard to stay away from them for, let's say, a long period of time or just step away and go a different route without them getting, let's say, suspicious or why are you doing the things you are doing? Um, Are there ways to maneuver around that and how do you not fall into the trap of going down the same path once again after you've had some time to realize? Sorry, could you repeat that one more time? Sorry. So basically, let's say you've gone on a path, right. but going back to, let's say, the, the concept of Sangha, going back to those same people um, and just being around them, sometimes you go back on the path you just got yourself right. out okay. of. Okay. Okay. How, do you, how do you maneuver around that? That
0: is a very tricky situation, and I feel as if it's obviously very different for each person, but to reach that state of, I guess you could say, tranquility, where others don't rub off on you, um is very hard um for everyone regardless i think of where you are um and for some people it might be easier but you still have to be cognizant of it you know how much time are you spending with this person if it's you know if it's an old friend for example an old um that wasn't perhaps the best uh, influence um in a way but you meet up with them is it like a once in a few months kind of thing to maybe give them some sort of tips if they're open to growing but right. if they're not and you see the same patterns again and again and they're, they're in this state of self-victimizing and self-pity like you have compassion for them for sure definitely but how much of your energy are you going to expend, and how much of your own progress are you going to sacrifice when at the end of the day it's not in our control to kind of change people right so it's really being i think um, aware of of how much time you're spending with people and and whether it's actually uh, helping your progress
2: And did you, um, actually, that's an interesting point. So did you kind of step back from friends that you thought like, okay, this is not going to be positive for me? And did you kind of do cold turkey? Or how did you kind of approach that situation?
0: So um, I went through a phase where I really had to distance myself from practically everyone. And that was hard to do because a lot of these people, as I alluded to earlier, were like those day one kind of, you know, right. Friends and that's the attachment, definitely um, for so long, and that you know the sense of loyalty, the sense of I guess you could say brotherhood or whatever the yep. case is, and and to to take that step back, I, I did it um, in a way where it's like, hey, everyone in the, for example in a WhatsApp group, I, I need some time for myself. I'm kind of you know finding myself and and doing doing the, some soul searching. Right. So I just need, but. Some people were still offended by that. You know, this guy's changed. What's wrong with him? And he's being fake, positive. Yeah, know. Yeah. Some people didn't believe in it. Some people were kind of feeling resentful. Um, but I tried to do it in, in, in such a way. And I, I did go through a phase, admittedly, where I felt this person was, wasn't was good for me. I can't believe, like, these people are actually, like, you know, when I was at my worst kind of moments, I would say rock bottom or really drunk. and. Um, I I did something to put myself in danger like I can't believe no one was actually there more for me but when I went over that um, and reflected deep on that again those people were product of their conditioning maybe they didn't have the empathy and that compassion to see things that way so I had to really forgive them too and forgive myself so really I had to take a step back and not blame people and be like you know what it's fine Um, I can't resent people for them not knowing any better and or for them kind of stuck in their own version of you know their own uh, perception of masculinity, which is not to be more supportive. So that was something I definitely went through. But um, I definitely, again, goes, goes back to the other theme of time. Um, I think that's why time is money, because when you have that time for yourself and you distance yourself and you kind of unpack the layers that have made you this version of you through society, you can actually find. Um, some people say find yourself. Some people say um, discover yourself. But regardless, the point being to to um, embrace the divinity or embrace the the person you actually your soul, like you know what what is there before society got to you.
2: Right. And so when you were kind of getting into that, um, you were finding yourself there. Did you kind of uh, try to find sangat that met with those like agreed with those ideas, aligned with those ideas, trying to find sangat in that regard, or were you just kind of you step back, you kind of found yourself in a way, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. and then um, go went um, and then found Sangat.
0: I think um, w- with that focus on improvement and self-reflection and, and taking a step back, like when I was on that path, but still taking a step back and journaling, okay, why did I do this? Right. And then improving, okay, maybe I won't post this next time. Maybe I won't do this. Maybe I won't go for this friend right. because even though it might seem like I'm doing it for a good reason. Really, it's just out of a different reason. When I was really unpacking and unpacking, slowly, things aligned, and then I just came across like beautiful programs, like the Experience Sikhism, for example, and then just met like Sangeet from different areas, just because I found out through whether it was uh, you know an uncle at the Godwara, whether it was the um, Sikh Heritage Month, whether it's Instagram, because then I started following specific pages. Everything kind of just started kind of aligning, and I just started meeting wiser more intelligent more spiritual people that i was able to pick off i think pieces from and i think think that kind of naturally happens um through that kirpa to just slowly learn and when you're focused on that on it's 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 problematic again when you're focused on yourself uh, like i don't mean self as in the ego way but when you're focused on i guess i would say when you're focused on improvement right it it kind of just happened
2: the universe kind of like Mara responds in a way right like makes Mm -hmm. your environment that way um did you uh, we kind of talked about it offline as well a little bit but how did your parents react to you getting into tzuki
0: so initially i remember a few years back actually um i would t- talk to them about you know uh depression but talk to them about you know because i was still stuck in that drinking cycle and and these cycles of escapism and they wouldn't take it seriously they would just be like mm, you, like right. what are you talking about what are you complaining about you're, you're fine amic or the, like whatever but when <laughs> Sikki was you know, um, was brought upon uh, like, this path and that, that blessing was kind of happening my parents were like Hun So when I was mm-hmm. telling them before they didn't take it seriously but now mm-hmm. when the Siki um, journey was happening, that's when they, they were like you know what's wrong with him right And so they became very uh, very curious, very overprotective, very paranoid um, and I think that also stems from th- their trauma too. Because they were like like hopefully someone doesn't get into his ear and take him somewhere and and go on some you know who knows what they are thinking at that right. point right they're like maybe he's at a vulnerable point in his life and his mind is a bit open to uh, to being Influenced. persuaded yep. right yeah so I think that was a lot of the it's, it comes from a good place of love and you know wanting the best for me and for a lot of us when that happens but there there are reasons and intentions for why they believe that and I think a lot of it comes from fear and paranoia right
1: um j- just touching upon that your brother went um on maybe not a similar journey but a journey into Siki um as well was it the same reaction and did that kind of soften the reaction of your parents or was it still just as hard and paranoid when it came i guess your turn so
0: because for him i think it was about eight years ago um there was a quite a you know a, a, a difference in terms of the years between the journeys mm-hmm. um so for him it was a similar uh similar kind of reaction. Um, but it happened kind of seamlessly. So and then he kind of um, began, um, he got married and, and bought his own house and kind of went on a, a his journey. And um, whereas for me, because year after year went by, we kind of all got used to, you know, we just thought there's, you know, a thing in the family on and then right, everyone else is living together, for example. Right. Um, and then my, uh, my sister, she got married a few years ago, about four years ago now, I think. So then, it was my parents and I, and so we just got used to that that family dynamics, those family dynamics. And so when when this happened, when when Siki happened, when this blessing happened, it slowly, um, I think, slowly just shocked them in a way. So the transition, my brother was there, you know, when he came by, he he would be re- very happy and proud and, and whatnot. But for my parents, I think it became like a, a shock because they were so used to the, that little dynamic, right? Right, so, right. Yeah.
2: Definitely.
1: Um. Well, since we are uh, gearing towards the end of the podcast, we would like to thank you for this conversation. Um, Definitely enjoyed it. And I really do hope our listeners did as well. I'm sure Kelvin Dissing did as well. Yes. Um, before we end off today, um, is there anything you'd like to... To leave with the listeners whether it be um, a motto or a story or a journey but anything you'd like to leave with them?
0: I think one thing that really stands out um, was I went through a phase where it was six months I believe I didn't talk to my dad and I had so much resentment and anger and frustration and this was about just about like before March April of this year so it was coinciding with that and during the process of of uh, self-development and um, improvement. And a lot of times I think people can c- can get caught up with the language of toxic. This person's toxic for me, I'm gonna step away. And we don't maybe look at what we're doing too um, and what, where we can improve and how we can facilitate a more smoother relationship with people. And so we can be quick to to do this. And I'm not discrediting anyone's emotions or anger or pain or um, trauma or anything like that, but one thing that I found was that this made things very strenuous at home, and and I, I was really reflecting on this, and around the time where I started writing, and I realized that, in circling back to the importance of our history and preserving our, the uniqueness, whether it's feminism, Black Lives Matter, Sikhism, why it's important is there's a Saki that um, around the time I was listening to from Basics of Sikhi. And uh, I believe it was uh, Tan Guru Nanak Dev Ji who was there um, with Sangat and um, before Domi Patshah was uh, Guru. Um, uh, the Sangat was uh, looking, uh, I believe, for food, shaking a tree because um, yeah. uh, Guruji Ji had, had advised him of, of such. And uh, and so before um, he was Domi Patsha, he was walking towards the tree, I believe. And I'm sorry if I get this wrong, but... Um, when Tandu Guru Nanak Devji asked him, you know, where are you going? He didn't, Domi um, Bhasra before he was, he, he didn't turn around and say, oh, you told me to, um, or um, I'm just doing what you told. He just kind of was very humble and out of humility, kind of just said, I don't know what I'm doing in a way. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, I just the next, I think the same day or either the next day, but within a few hours, I touched my dad's feet and I said, because I just recognized, you know what? I, there's a blockage. There's an ego. There's a, there's a and whether the world agrees with me that I'm right, and that uh, I didn't have the best upbringing, or whatever the case is, whether that's the case, there's still a sense of separateness. And I can hopefully with good, maybe make it better. And he's just doing the best he can. And I don't know the trauma. I don't know the pain. I, I haven't seen or been a part of the stuff that they're not telling us the rapes and the, the murders and the oh. all these things. And that is there. And, and so that was a very profound moment where I unconditionally kind of just connected with him. And, and so just to go back to the point, that is an importance in a way, in many ways of preserving everything. Yeah. And because nowadays we'll see people say that, that you know some things aren't, ca- aren't capable of happening or whatever the case is, but that's faith. Whether one wants to believe all the way or whether one believes certain things, that's up to them. That spirituality, that faith, but no one should say that it's not possible or it shouldn't happen because that that's happening these days and that is something that I think the youth and um, people in our punk need to really be um uh very cognizant and care- and careful with because that is our history and that is important because yeah for those
1: reasons definitely oh well thank you again for being here we we definitely would uh, love to see more of you and hear more of you in the the near future um to everyone listening, please also make sure to check out Jaskanul Singh's book, Feminism Saved My Life and It May Just Save the World. And keep on listening to the Experience Siki podcast. You've been listening to the Experience Siki podcast.